Our gospel reading this morning is from John 1, verses 1 through 14. I'll be reading from the New International Version. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. So, you ready for Christmas? The famous question we ask each other this time of year, are you ready for Christmas? Because this, we, we've somehow ramped up Christmas. I don't know if you've noticed that, but we've kind of made it fuller than the rest of the year with things to do. And so I've begun to cut corners every Christmas. So I stopped sending Christmas cards and Christmas letters. Yes, that's what I did. I did it because I was so busy, right? And one of the things we stopped doing as a family over the years was we stopped marching off into the wilderness to cut down a Christmas tree. And now we go to Costco, now, why are we doing this? Why are we cutting back on these things? It's because we're so busy, right? We live this hurried life today that we start to cut back on the things that maybe had meaning for us, but in the, in the, in, for meaning that, that becomes convenient for us, right? We, we trade meaning for convenience. And I was thinking about that. Last season, we went to Costco to get our tree, and it's great because it's curbside. You pull up, you put your car there, you pay your $30 or whatever it is here in Seattle, and they put it on your car and you drive away. I love, it's like drive-through Christmas trees, right? And so we get this Christmas tree. I get it home last year, and, I'm, and we're so busy with everything going on in church and, 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 and life and kids and everything. And so I put the tree up, I get it in the house, put it in the stand, and then I unwrap the tree, right? And all these needles start to fall out of it. It's like dry. It's like super dry. It's like the dry, it's so dry. I'm like wondering if this thing's going to live. I'm like sweeping up needles for the, the rest of the evening as this, all these needles come out of the tree and they keep falling out of the tree. Every time I touch the tree, it kind of goes. So I read online that if you give it seven up, 
that it will come back to life. So I got some seven up, and I said, I am determined to resurrect this tree. So we lay hands on the tree, and we pray for, no, I'm just kidding. So I keep adding seven up and water, and seven up and water, and this tree is not coming back to life. It's hard to make something dead that's already cut down to come back to life. So finally, five days later, it's my day off. I finally have a little time. I call Costco. And I say to Costco, I have a bad tree. Uh, can I get a refund? And they're like, sure, we'll give you a refund. Just bring the tree in. I'm like, well, I'd like to not have to put it back, take it down, put it back on my car, drive it all the way to your store in your busy parking lot, drag it in the customer service line, and give it back to you. Can I just take a picture and show you and prove to you that this tree is dead? And they're like, no, we need you to bring the tree back. So, you know, I put the phone down. I am now not in a happy. I got too many other things to do. I am too busy. I'm too hurried to go back to Costco to brave that parking lot, to get the tree down, to get it back on my car. And so I do. I take the tree down. I take it out of the stand. More needles are falling down. I'm looking at the needles going, I got to clean this up when I get back. I put the tree back on my car. I drive to Costco. I look around for a parking space because it's so busy there. But all the way, all the time I'm driving to Costco, what do you think's going on inside of me? Hmm. I'm beginning to rehearse the speech, the sermon that I will give to that customer service representative when I get to them. So I have this speech being rehearsed inside of me, and I'm going on, and I'm going on, and I've got a five-point sermon, and I've got scripture to support it. And I am ready to let them have it in customer service. And so I get up there. I don't even, I, I, I get that. I get the tree. And here, you can just picture me just angrily dragging this tree through the parking lot of Costco. And I get into Costco. I'm ready to let them have it. And what do I face when I finally get into Costco? There's a line at the customer service. And I'm going, oh. So I'm standing there in line. But I, I prayed a little prayer on my way into Costco. I prayed a little prayer. It's a very important prayer, and it's funny, but it's also serious. And as I was holding the tree, dragging into Costco, I said to Jesus, I said, Jesus, you need to go in there with me today, otherwise it's not going to be good. <laughs> right? So I prayed. I said, Jesus, go with me to Costco. Do you ever feel like that some days, that you need Jesus to go with you? I don't know why I prayed that prayer, but I knew that there was something going on inside of me that needed to be reordered. So as I stood there in line with my tree, the only one in line with a tree, <clears throat> I watched as each customer before me laid into that customer service person, that woman behind the counter. And as I watched each other customer complain to her, wasn't her fault, that my tree was dry? Wasn't her fault that that sweater didn't fit? Wasn't her fault that that credit card didn't go through? And you know what happened inside of me? Compassion. And I began to begin to think to myself, I don't want to be another complainer to ruin this woman's day. And so when I got up there, I bit my tongue, I put my sermon away, I got my money back, and I smiled and said, thank you. Because I just didn't want to be one more person to do that to her. Why did that happen? Why did something, what changed inside of me from this hurried, busy, frustrated, stressed out pastor between that moment 
And the moment I got to the counter, what changed was me. What changed was that little prayer that when I said, Jesus, I need you to go with me into Costco, guess what happened? Jesus showed up in me somehow. I love what John Ortberg says about hurry sickness. He says, hurry sickness. Hurry is not a disorder schedule, which we think it is. Hurry is a disordered heart. Hurry is a disordered heart. When I prayed that prayer to ask Jesus to come in my life, and you got to do it every day, that when that happened, what happened was my heart was reordered. See, when we're caught up in the busyness and the hurriness of the season, we're hurry sick. I was a hurry sick pastor that needed his heart reordered. My question today is do you need your heart reordered today, this Christmas? Have you been hurry sick? (laughs) Have you been too busy for the presence of God? Because what we celebrate in Advent, what we celebrate is what the Gospel of John has taught us, that the Word became flesh, that God showed up in the neighborhood. I love the way the message version puts it. It says, the Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Not just any neighborhood, but the neighborhood of our heart. The neighborhood of us. God has to move literally into us. The divine presence has to be incarnated again in us, just as the divine took on flesh in Christ. I want you to imagine for a moment what that was like for Jesus, for God. So I think I can help you do that for a moment. I want you to imagine where you live right now, your house, your comfortable bed, your coffee, whatever it is that brings you comfort, that place where you go to when everything is stressful. I want you to think of that place in your home. I want you to think of your home for a minute. That's your place. Now, I want you to imagine that you were to leave it, walk away from it, don't take anything with you, and you go and you set up a tent in Tent City over here at SPU, and you live there. That's the incarnation. God left. Jesus left heaven. (laughs) The divine left. Didn't take anything but divinity with him. And he, it says, literal translation of the Greek, pitched his tent with us. Dwelled with us. Moved into our neighborhood. Became present to us. And I would imagine that what is stopping us from experiencing the presence of God in our Christmas, in our lives for that matter, is that we're too busy for God. We're too hurried for God to show up. We're too busy doing all these other things. And so that's maybe part of the reason we're not experiencing the presence of God, the healing of God, the joy of the season all these things that God wants us to experience because the divine, we keep the divine, we keep the presence of God at arm's length in our lives and we say, not now God, just wait till I'm less busy. Wait till I retire. Wait until I get these things in my life straightened out. Wait until the kids grow up. Wait until my job project is done this season. Whatever it is, we say, God, wait over there. Don't dwell (laughs) Don't incarnate. Don't come live in me yet until I get these things done. And then we wonder why we live in such stressed out, hurried, broken lives. You see, the incarnation actually reveals 
the redemptive nature of God. That God wants to come and be with us and redeem us and draw God, God wants to draw us back to God's self. That we're to be drawn back through the incarnation that the word, right, the divine, becomes flesh. And if you read the rest of the New Testament, you start to see that flesh is a broken, dark, sinful, desire-driven entity, the flesh, Paul talks about in the New Testament. So what gets me about the incarnation is that God, the divine, would take on something so earthly and fleshly. See what I'm saying? That the divine would do that because here's the thing about the divine. The divine, and it says it in John, the divine can't be corrupted by the flesh. (laughs) You see? That's what it gives the incarnation. But that's the redemptive nature of God. The redemptive nature of God is to come and dwell in our lives to redeem us and to restore us and to renew us. But it's hard for God to do that when we're saying to God, not now, wait. I remember Junior. If you ever met Junior, he lives in rural Appalachia. And if you met Junior, he would tell you his story. That's what he does. He's, a, he's, a, he's, an, um, he's an evangelist. And the reason he's an evangelist is not because he's got a theological degree. He just tells you a story. And his story goes like this. He was a drug addict for 20 years. He and his girlfriend were going from one high to the next high to the next high, living in a trailer park, trying to figure out how they could get the money for the next hit. They lived that way for 20 years. Junior says one night he woke up in a cold sweat in the middle of the night, and at the foot of his bed, he saw Jesus. You think Jesus shows up in trailer parks to drug addicts? You betcha. Because that's the redemptive power of God. (laughs) Junior tells you he saw Jesus standing at the foot of his bed and he was convicted about his lifestyle. He got up the next morning, he got rid of the drugs, he went cold turkey from that moment on. That Sunday, he went to church, he went to the altar, he gave his life to Christ. Soon after, his girlfriend followed. They are now married, husband and wife. But what happens when Jesus shows up in your life? What happened inside of Junior was his life was reordered, his heart was reordered. The things that were temptations for him, no longer he resisted those things because his heart was reordered by the presence, the redemptive presence of God. Could have been a hallucination. I know some people think, well, maybe it was, he was just on drug hallucination, right? Could have been. Doesn't really matter because God showed up. <laughs> How you interpret the practical nature of that doesn't matter because in Junior's life, God showed up. The presence of God reordered his life. Wouldn't you like your life reordered by that presence? <laughs> Wouldn't that be great to have the presence of Christ, the presence of God in you, dwell in you, move into your neighborhood, reorder your heart and your life. John says in verses three and four, he says, through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. See that? You hear that word, life? Jesus came to give us life. And it says later, life abundantly, right? Jesus came to give us this life and wants to restore our lives, but it's not the life that we find in the busyness and the hurriedness of our world. The Greek word here is zoe, which we get the word 
zoo, <laughs> right? Or zoology. You know who the first zoologist was in the world? You don't know? You don't know the name of the first zoologist? Adam, right. Named all the animals, right? Adam was the first one. He was a scientist. You didn't know that? Adam was a scientist, a biologist, a zoologist. And so I think about this idea that the word in the incarnation is, is, is come that, to give us life. The word gives us life. And if you think about it, John is playing with this idea of life and light. And it reminds, reminds me of the Big Bang Theory. I don't know if you, if you subscribe to the Big Bang Theory or not. You may subscribe to the, 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 the literal 6,000-year-old earth. It doesn't really matter for this illustration where you have to remember Big Bang Theory is a theory. One of the things I've learned about the Big Bang Theory is that the thing about it is interesting given the context of John and the Incarnation. Is if you know the Big Bang Theory, what's the very first thing that happened? What was the initial cause of the Big Bang Theory? Any scientists here with us this morning? What was it? What created the Big Bang? Anybody know? Light. The pinhead of light. There was a pinhead of light that burst into the void and created the Big Bang. And that Big Bang theory was so started out like this, small, this little piercing light that broke into the void and into the darkness. Wow, what does that remind you of? If you've read the book of Genesis chapter 1, it should remind you of that where God said, let there be light. Or this gospel of John, which says the light of life, right? Jesus, the divine, became human, became this light, came into the world. Now, thanks to your friends at NASA, you have this. Oh, I'm dropping everything today. You have this. You know, what is this? This is the known universe at the Big Bang. 13 billion years ago, they have condensed all of the universe into this beach ball. Amazing scientists at NASA. So actually what they did was they, they sent out a probe called the Wilkinson Microwave Anastropy Probe and it read the microwave radiation from what they believe to be the Big Bang 13 billion years because the light from the Big Bang is still coming through the universe and we can read it, right? So they read it and they came up with this model of the initial beginning of the Big Bang theory or the Big Bang that caused the world, light. Emanating, You can see this orange band, which was the explosion or the expanse of light that happened at the Big Bang. So a lot of times we think that Jesus, we say, we, there's an old Sunday school song that says, he's got the whole world in his hands, right? That's wrong. He's got the whole universe in his hands, right? And think about this, the divine, the word, the logos, the word become flesh pre-existed this. And the word that became flesh made this happen. <laughs> Think about that. Can you get your mind around that today? Can you get your mind around a God who is powerful enough and big enough to not only create the universe, but also to become flesh, to show us life? All life comes from light. Without light, we don't exist. Some, there are some things that exist without light, I realize that. 
but light gives life. That's what the incarnation is about. It says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So this word gives us life. It's come to give us life, not take our lives. The other thing it says about this light coming is that this light actually shows us the life we're supposed to live. So that as we see the light in Christ, as we follow Jesus Christ, as we pattern our lives after Christ and follow Christ, we actually are, what revealed to us is not a hurried, disordered, chaotic life, but a life that is patterned after Christ that is the way we were actually created to live. A pattern by which we're to actually live our lives. So this light that comes in the word actually reveals to us this life that we're to live in Christ and following Jesus. And the part of that learning, this pattern, actually requires us to step away from the busyness. You know, you're not going to learn to be like Jesus taking Christmas trees back to Costco, even though that did happen in my life, right? But I'm saying if I had not invited Jesus into that moment in my life, would I have patterned my response after Jesus? No, probably not. You see, I think part of the reason that we aren't patterning our lives after Jesus, I think part of the reason that we're not uh, encountering the incarnation ourselves and the presence of God ourselves is because we're too busy, too hurried, too full of schedules and commitments and yeses. And yet, I want to ask you a question. We, we, how many people here have heard the story of the prodigal son? The prodigal son story. So lots of you. If you haven't heard the prodigal son story, it's okay. I'm going to give you a very brief version of it. Prodigal son goes to dad. Dad says to dad, dad, give me all your inheritance that's due me because I'm tired of living under your roof. And I want to live my life my way and do things my way. And so the young son takes all dad's inheritance money and he goes off and he spends it on wild living having parties, and then the money runs out, and all of a sudden his friends disappear when the money runs out. Amazing how that works. And he goes looking for a job, and the only job he can find now that he's destitute and in poverty, the only job he can find is feeding pigs. Now, a a good Jewish boy should not be anywhere near pigs. They're not kosher. But here he finds himself feeding pigs in a pig pen, And it's interesting that I think that as he is sitting there in the pig pen, no more parties, the parties are stripped away, the the, the friends are stripped away, everything has been stripped away from him. That's the moment God shows up in his life. That's the moment he comes to his senses. That's the moment he says, I think things ought to be different than the way they are right now. And he's right. He comes to himself, it says. He comes to his senses. But I want you to notice that when that happens is when everything else is stripped away from him. And what do we do? We fill. We add. Whereas it's in the stripping away, it's in the silence, Mother Teresa says. She says we need to find God, and he cannot be found in noise and restlessness. God is the friend of silence. Solitude, quiet. Right? That's where God shows up. So here's my question for you. I start off with a question. You remember what it was? Are you ready for Christmas? I want to change the question today. And the question is this. Where will you discover God's presence this Christmas season? 
Where will you discover it? Where will you encounter it? Where will you see the divine presence of God and experience the divine presence of God in your season? Let me suggest to you it's not in the busyness. Let me suggest that it might be in worship. Why? Because when we worship, as Pastor Bonnie said earlier, it's when we kind of step away from the busyness and come in this place and we're present to God, right? I pray that God is showing up in your life today in the presence here. Or maybe when the busyness is over, right? When you finally, all the presents are wrapped and the tree is up and the kids are in bed and you sit down at 1 a.m., 2 a.m. in the morning on Christmas Eve and you go, and why do you experience the presence of God in that moment? Because the busyness is gone. You have time to breathe. You have time to be still. You have time to be silent. And you have time to look at the lights of Christmas and remember that the light has come. Or maybe, maybe it's when you get out into creation, isn't it? Notice that when you get into creation, when you get into the mountains, when you get onto the trails, notice what happens to your ability to be present to God. Why is that? because you're not busy. It's because you, everything else has been stripped away from you and you have time just to be present, to be open to the presence of God. And if I wish something for you this Christmas, it would be God's presence in your life. And that's my prayer for you because it will reorder your heart. Let's pray together.